Good morning. We continue with our uh, our Advent readings and devotional, and today we continue with Mary's song, the Magnificat, the in a way the very first Christmas carol. And yesterday we looked at her first, like in a sense, the first verse, where she speaks of her soul magnifying the Lord, her spirit rejoicing in God, her Savior, and. We looked at two of the attributes of, of God that she extolled. So and, and it was very it's very powerful as you look at this because she begins to to magnify how God is omnipotent, that he's all powerful. And it, this is a powerful uh, manifestation of her own now experience of God, of faith in the message that God has brought her through the angel, that she, would, she, a virgin, will be with a child. And the angel himself has said to her, nothing is impossible with God. And so now she's speaking of the God of the impossible, that he's the mighty one, he can do great things. And then her second, her second attribute that she brings out is his holiness. And again, this is, this is so essential because, because Christmas is about dealing with a fallen world. It's, it's about dealing with brokenness and spiritual bankruptcy. And it is our holy God who cannot just tolerate sin, who cannot just excuse it, but rather has decided to deal with sin himself through becoming a person, a man. So, in this section today, we see this third attribute. And in a way, without the third attribute, the other two would just be too awful. They would be too terrible for us who are powerless and broken people. So here is our God who comes to us at Christmas. He comes to us in his power. He comes to us in his holiness. But his choice is to deal with us according to his mercy. You see, in his power, nothing is impossible. So God becomes a baby. In his holiness, he must deal a final blow to our sin. And he must do something significant about our separation from him. For we are powerless to do this for ourselves. In his mercy, God comes to cut off the head of sin. John Milton, a great English poet, wrote a, a a poem that became a hymn and and just the first verse the whole thing is a, is a beautiful poem but uh, the first verse he says let us with a gladsome mind praise the Lord for he is kind for his mercy shall endure ever faithful ever sure this is what Mary is singing about Milton is penning in this poem he says for his mercy shall endure ever faithful ever sure See, because God is all-powerful, because God is holy, we can only approach him. We can only come into his presence according to his mercy. Now, often, mercy and grace are used interchangeably. But there is a difference. Uh, there's a distinction between the two. Um, mercy is God withholding what we deserve. Grace is God giving what we do not deserve. But you see, in a way, if he did not withhold 
our just punishment, if he did not withhold and and keep back what is righteous in him to bring the penalty of sin on the earth, on people, and even to wipe out the earth and wipe out people, if he did not do that, then grace would would not be able to work. So mercy is like this this incredible first step in coming into relationship with God. And God loves to show mercy. He shows mercy as a means of showing his kindness, which leads us to repent of that which he has to show mercy for. Now don't don't ever mistakenly think that 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 in some way God, you know, is gonna cease to be just. God is always just. But his mercy is where he is forbearing, where he is patient. God cannot be unjust. He will never be unjust. But in his mercy, he is forbearing. In his mercy, in his mercy, he is patient. Mercy is never injustice. It's always God withholding and holding back the even the the just or righteous consequences and punishments for our sin. But here's the thing. God is being merciful as a manifestation of his character. This is who he loves to be. But he cannot withhold his just punishment forever. He must direct his justice. And this is this is what Jesus came to do. God had been merciful. God had been withholding. God had been forbearing and patient. And in Jesus, he's going to unleash the just punishment of our sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, is going to become the object of the justice of God so that you and I might be the objects of the grace of God. And in his mercy, he is held back. In his mercy, he has not dealt with us according to his justice, though he's never been unjust to us ever. But he has been patient. He has been forbearing. And so this song of Mary, this teenager's song, she recognizes the three attributes coming together, these majestic attributes of God coming together at Christmas. And so... She sings her Christmas carol with an utterly and completely transformed heart. Somewhat like Milton, she sang with a gladsome heart, a gladsome mind. If you and I get how these three awesome characteristics of God come together at Christmas, we too will sing transformed those Christmas carols that are so familiar to us. So this section of Mary's song comes from Luke chapter 1. It's verses 50 through 55. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. 
just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary sings here of all the remarkable things that God has done and the things that God is going to do. In, in so many ways, uh, her lyrics expressing the mercy of God and the power of God and the holiness of God shows that God lifts up the humble. And, and he, he, he cares for not those who are powerful and famous and rich and in positions of power more so than he cares for those who are hungry. He acts on, the, on behalf of those who are humble and hungry, it says here. He cares for the weak. He's on the side of those who are in need. This song is a window into the very heart of God, what it means that God is all three holy, powerful, and merciful at the same time. One writer says it this way, Mary's song reveals God's character and attributes, not as abstract expressions of holiness, mercy, and saving power, but in concrete relationship to people and in the detailed working of their lives, God's attributes are meant not only to be understood and worshipped, but they are to be experienced as well, seen in the everyday affairs of life. So those who appear to be powerful in the world are often impotent before God, while those who seem to be helpless and hopeless are under God's watchful eye. Is it, there, the gospel is so amazing to me. And so powerful, uh, so final and ultimate in coming into right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. One of the most fascinating of realities is, is that, in a sense, no one on the basis of justice has a right to make a demand of God. And yet so many do because they want to blame God, they want to... They want to rebel against God and disobey God or act as if there is no God. And then they want to be angry with God when life doesn't go the way, or the world doesn't go the way they want it to. But here's this fascinating thing in the gospel as when it comes to the mercy and the justice and the holiness of God. In John, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if you confess your sins, that's the humility piece. You know, that, that's the spiritual brokenness piece. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Here's, here is a fascinating coming together of the power of God, of the holiness of God, and of the, the mercy of God. So you're confessing your sins. You're showing that you're, you're broken. You're, you're, you're acknowledging your inability to save yourself. So you confess your sins. But then... What comes in? The faithfulness of God, the justice of God. But why is it the justice? It seems like it should be mercy here. And yes, of course, the cause of your standing to be able to confess your sins is the mercy of God. But because of Jesus and because of his finished work, God has now tied your forgiveness to his justice in this way. God will never ask a second payment for your sin. If Jesus has already paid it, then you do not have to pay again. That's his justice. And here's, here, once you recognize the standing you have because of Jesus and through your faith, and you recognize the mercy of God on your life instead of being a demanding, you know, whining, rebellious child, 
you have standing, the rest of 1 John says, you have standing before God because your advocate, your champion, the Lord Jesus Christ is advocating on your behalf, not only that you be forgiven of your sins, but also he's your advocate that you have every resource of God, every strength of God in order to live the life that God has destined you to live and to be the person you were destined to be. So that you can come to God, you and I, who should have no personal standing in the justice of God, but we can come and when we are when we are offended, when we are hurt, when we are abused, when we are, you know, betrayed, neglected, we can come to God and we can we can have a standing for the justice of God against those who would oppress us. I mean, this it, it's kind of mind-blowing in a sense that we who have no right to the justice of God and to whom the justice of God should be a, a terrible, awful thing that we want to avoid, instead, because you come in humility and you come in your brokenness and you confess your need, you confess your sin, that God who is faithful and just then gives you a right standing even at the court of heaven. And, and, and you're able to pour out your heart and Jesus, your advocate, and Jesus, the judge, brings justice and fairness on your behalf, even in this world. I mean, this is, you see, Mary seeing what you and I can experience if we'll just begin to realize what has happened to us through Jesus. And it's fascinating because what Mary's realizing is, is, is really pretty, very powerful here. She looks back at history. She's amazed that God has chosen her. But you see, here's a picture of him taking the humble, taking what is in many ways to the world unremarkable and unknown, and he's lifted her up. And he, she says, there are those who have been rulers, those with power, those with might, and God has taken them down. And it's a shock in a way that the mighty in the world fall, but the humble are lifted up, she says. And you begin to realize, you see, the mighty in the world use their own might to get by, or their own riches to get by. But when you recognize your humility, when you recognize your emptiness, your brokenness, your sinfulness, and you come to God in Jesus Christ, you come with nothing in your hand. You come with nothing to commend yourself. You come only on the basis of Christ commending himself on your behalf. Then suddenly you have the whole court of heaven on your side. And Mary, you see, Mary sings here about how God fulfills in history what he promised. You see, this, in a way, what Mary's song does is it gives us a, a, what, a big picture perspective and it gives us a personal perspective at the same time. You know, she's saying, she's saying this as she talks about God's intervention in history by his mercy. She's saying, you know, this faith is not a private experience with God. God's been working his purposes out for the whole world. You see, Christianity is a public faith. It's not a private experience. It's a public, it's a public expression of your faith because God himself is publicly working his purposes out in this world. There, there's a very real sense, and I, I love this aspect of Mary's song. Here, here she is, filled with the Holy Spirit, joyful, 
in soul and spirit of the change that God has made in her life. And what she's saying is, God is real. And what she's saying in her song, she's saying, heaven has punched a hole in the very fabric of our universe, and it will never be the same. But she's also saying, this baby born in Bethlehem to the virgin brings a moment of crisis for every human being. Because it's saying the only way you can have a real and intimate relationship with God is to receive Christ. And this is what the world hates. I mean, the world sometimes misses the whole meaning of Christmas, but they hate the idea that this becomes the crisis of faith. This becomes the crisis. What will I do with this child? Because Mary is saying, <clears throat> God in his mercy and his power and his holiness has been working in history all along. But now in her life, through her as a vessel of the Lord, heaven itself has punched a hole in the fabric of the universe. And now everybody has to come to this crisis moment. She's saying, and it's very powerful in here, she's saying, outside of ourselves, outside of you, outside of me, God has done something in history. You know, it's not just a nice religious thought or concept. It's not something that we, you know, just imagined ourselves. God has done something, Mary is saying, in history. And you must choose today who you will serve. That's the crisis of Christmas. God has punched a hole in the fabric of our universe to, to meet us, to meet us so that we can be near to him and, and become children of God. And, and look at, I mean, look at her, her rehearsing of history. She says, he's brought down rulers and kingdoms. He's brought down the rich and the oppressors. These are, this is a powerful demonstration of the, of the mercy and justice of our God. At the same time, though, she makes a bigger claim. And it's one of the, it's one of the best things in this song, is she says, he fulfills his promises. And so you have to realize, when she says, God has fulfilled the promise he made to Abraham, that is almost a 2,000-year-old promise. I mean, it, that is an old, old promise. And, she is prophesying and speaking, and there has not been prophetic word. There has been nothing for 400 years. So why is that so important? Well, because it's easy to say, if, if a promise was made 2,000 years ago, it's easy to say God must have forgotten us, or it's easy to say maybe the promise wasn't real. But Mary is saying, it doesn't matter if it was 2,000, thousand years ago. God has fulfilled his promise. It doesn't matter if we haven't heard from him for 400 years. God has fulfilled his word. It's so easy to say God has forgotten us, but he's not. He never forgets, Mary says. He always does what he promises. Now, this is somewhat of a deep theological thought, but I think it's helpful. You must understand God does not exist. God, God is not bound by time. He exists outside of time. He always does what he promises. And, and there, there's a sense in which, you see, there's a sense in which 
the meaning of Christmas is we don't know when God will come and fulfill all that he's promised, but Christmas says he always does come and he always does fulfill his promises. And we never understand the right time. I mean, what looks like the right time to us might not be the right time. Think about Palestine in the days of Mary. Under the oppression of the Roman government, under the oppression of religious legalism, under the, you know, just a sense of, of desperation and hopelessness and powerlessness. And yet here Mary, this humble, this humble young woman from an unremarkable place, says Christmas reveals the unchanging promises of our God and how he fulfills what he's promised even 2,000 years ago. She is proclaiming in her song, God changes the world even as he says he would change the world. Now, I, I think it's important to realize that God has a very interesting relationship with time. God sees every moment at once. So God is not operating in time like us in some kind of linear chronological fashion. God sees every moment at the same time. And so God will always know exactly the right moment and he'll know the right time frame to bring his promises to pass. It's foolish in a way to try to bind God to our time frame and lose your faith and go into unbelief or disobedience because you're angry with God because it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen or when. Because here we see at Christmas, God always fulfills his purposes, but he does it on God's time, and he can't be boxed in. In Mary's song, she's saying that in Christmas, we see the unchanging historical purposes of God Purposes he revealed thousands of years earlier. It, these purposes are being fulfilled at Christmas. But it becomes very personal if you let it. It means that your, purpose, your personal purposes, the ones he has for you, will also be fulfilled. Again, God sees every moment at once. And he will know exactly the right time to fulfill them. I, I, I remind you again, Milton's little poem, His mercy shall endure, ever faithful, ever sure. Well, that's a nice poem, but the scripture is very clear that this is something we can count on. Listen to Philippians 1.6, where Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or one of my favorite passages is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. Listen to this. Here's, your, here's a Christmas prayer. <laughs> now may the God of peace, and remember the God of shalom, shalom is God ties all the loose ends together of your life. The shalom is every resource is available. It's not just a cessation of hostility. But the shalom is every resource of God is available to you to accomplish every purpose of God for your life. That's what Christmas is all about, friend. It, it is the revelation that God is accomplishing his purposes, both on a global perspective and on a personal perspective. 
Now here's what Paul prays. Now may the God of peace, God of shalom, himself sanctify you completely. In other words, make you fully yourself. Make you fully God's woman, God's man. And may your whole spirit and soul, remember Mary proclaimed, my soul doth magnify the Lord, my spirit doth rejoice in God my Savior. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the promise. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As we meditate on this and we see the global fulfillment of God's purposes, what he said to Abraham he did. Though he was silent for 400 years, he spoke to a young woman, a virgin from Nazareth. Unremarkable, but a humble and made holy by the purposes of God. Here, God brings down rulers and he lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry and he sends the rich away empty. God has ripped and torn and punched a hole in the fabric of our universe. There's no turning back. Follow Jesus. No turning back. Merry Christmas.